Well, uh, you guys uh, have a seat. If you want to follow along in your Bible, I'm going to start in Mark 12, which is where we've been for the last uh, several weeks, uh, beginning in Mark 12. It's always kind of a bittersweet moment uh, when I uh, begin a series and then and then I kind of I think through it and then and then we get to this week. This week right here, we're on week five of No Compartments, and it's the last week of the series. And so I've got to deal with all. It's like it's like a it's like this this plant, this this child. It's like a student that you've loved and you've cared for, and now I've got to just be done with it. And so we're going to just be done with the series after uh, today. But we're in the series called No Compartments because uh, if you're like me, you found uh, that over time uh, you've developed compartments in your life where you live in one way in this compartment or in this setting and in this group of people. And then you have completely excused the fact that you can live and act and be a completely different person in this compartment. So we have the version of us that goes to school and the version of us that goes to work. The version of us that's in this room right now is different than the version of us that was cheering for the Astros last night. And we can't explain why. We can't explain why these two people exist and coexist within us. There's a, a great temptation uh, in, in just the human nature, is it, almost as a way to protect ourselves, is that we learn what other groups of people need from us, and so then we deliver on to them what we think that they need. And for some reason, the group that goes to work needs something different than maybe the group that's living in your home with you that needs something different than the group that is at church with you. And so we do that almost as a self-protection, almost as a, as a, uh, a real uh, honest and good reason to develop different versions of ourselves, different compartments of ourselves. But then in the mix of it all, we become exhausted because then we're constantly trying to manicure and keep up with this person's attitude, this person's personality. Then, then friends from this category come over here and now I've got my work friends at church with me and I don't know how to act. I, don't, I can't say all the things that I used to say. And here, here's the truth. Um, we have compartments. It comes from a good place, and yet the Lord has invited us to live a compartment-free life, to live whole and as one person with God as he is one with us. And in doing so, we should learn a lot of freedom to be uh, vulnerable in times where it's appropriate to be vulnerable. Someone asks you at work, hey, are you doing okay? You don't have to put on a show. If, you're, if, you, if you have no compartments and you're not doing okay, you can say, well, if I had to be honest with you, I don't want to talk about it right now, but I'm not doing awesome. You know, you, you know maybe give me a break, okay? Uh, and maybe, maybe uh, if you had no compartments and uh, you go home, uh, instead of your stress just kind of staying bottled up in you and then it just leaks out on your family, you begin by saying, you know, today was a really stressful day and I just, I, I want to I have just 10 minutes to decompress a little bit because you're not putting on a show for either side. You're, you're being honest and you are whole. And so we've based this entire series off of what we call the great commandment in scripture. When Jesus says to sum it up, Jesus says to love God and to love people. If you do these two things, this sums up all of the Old Testament, sums up all of what God wants for us. Love God and love people. And so we've been exploring this. How do you love God? And so when Jesus said these words, he says it in Mark chapter 12, you can, you can look in your scriptures as well, starting in verse 29. Again, uh, if you've missed the a couple of weeks you may have forgotten. Uh, big surprise here. Someone's trying to trick Jesus. Actually, a whole group of people are trying to get him to stumble over his words. And they, they said basically, hey, Jesus, I bet you can't tell me the most important thing. Like, sure, there's all these commandments, but you don't know the most important one, do you? And Jesus says, yeah, I, I do uh, because I'm Jesus. But he says in verse 29, he says, Jesus answered, the 
most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let me emphasize this for the now fifth time. Um, when it says that the Lord is one, it's saying that, that there's no shadow of changing with God. The, the, the God that you just sang to, the God that you just worshiped to, is the same God that David sang to and David worshiped and prayed to. The, the same God that, that you celebrate as saving your soul is the same God that walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He hasn't changed his personalities. He hasn't tagged out. He hasn't retired and got somebody else to fill in the gaps. Like he is the same God. He is one and he hasn't changed. He hasn't put up compartments to where the version of him that he brings to the Jewish people is different than the version that he brings to, to the American people and the different than the version that he brings to the Ukrainian people. He is, he is one. There are no compartments with our God. And therefore we are invited to do in verse 30, it says, and you, us, those of us who follow Jesus, shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. We're invited to love God with all of these different compartments of ourselves, all these different facets of ourselves, to love him with our heart. We've talked about loving with our mind, loving with our soul. Today, we're going to talk, how do you love God with your strength? Like, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've seen like a gym with a workout shirt. It's like, love God with your strength. It's just some guy like hulking out, you know? You have, you have like some guy, he's going to rip the shirt. I'm going to love God with my strength. And so it's like a bodybuilding statement. Is that what God meant? That we love God by benching 45 pound plates over and over again? Uh, hopefully you're benching more than 45. I, I don't know why that popped in my head as the number. Uh, no, there, there has to be more to it than just our muscles and our strength. There's something about health in, in scripture. Uh, you can certainly make a case for the Lord wants us to be healthy physically from scripture, it's just not using this verse. You can go to 1 Timothy where Paul is writing to another pastor. He says, hey, you know, uh, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Like you, you've got like ulcers or something. You hear, take some medicine, okay? Go see a doctor. Uh, there's a lot about health in scripture, but this verse right here is used out of context when it's used that way, to love the Lord our God with our strength. So what does it mean? What does it mean to love God with our strength? Um, I could ask you all to do push-ups, and whoever does the most push-ups loves God the most. Would you like to try that out? No, that's, <laughs> so we got a couple of us like, I won, I got this, I can do it. No, to love God with our strength. The Greek word for strength used right here is iskus. I can't think of a single uh, English derivative. Like the other words, you can kind of hear how they've changed into English sounding words. I don't know where iskus went, uh, but iskus is strength. This word uh, in Hebrew uh, that is quoted from the Old Testament is me'od, me'od. Uh, if you uh, listen to the Bible Project podcast, I only mentioned it because I turned on the most recent episode two days ago and they were going through the Shema and they went over a Ma'od. And I thought, oh, well, the timing of that is perfect. So if you haven't listened to the most recent episode of the Bible uh, Project podcast, go check it out because it's going to talk about this. This idea of iskus or Ma'od, this is strength. This is um, your, uh, your power. This is your um, uh, uh, ability. I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, the, the, you, you, the things that you have control to do. There's a word that's escaping me right now. I should have typed it on the slide. I would have remembered it. This is your opportunity. So anything that you have control over and you can do something about, that is your iskus, okay? And so to love your lawn with your iskus is to mow the grass if you have the ability to mow the grass. 
You understand? If you don't have the ability to mow the grass, then you don't have the strength to do it. You don't have the ability or uh, you've been sick for a while. Then, then it's, not, it's not yours to do in that moment. Your iscus, your strength. To love God with your ability is that in times where you're going about your day, you're going to come across people who need a thing from you. And if you have a thing that they need and it's yours to give, then, then to give it to them is to love God with your strength. Um, this is uh, opportunity. This is not just physical strength, but this is if you have if you have a couple of dollars in your wallet that you can rub together, and someone needs uh, one of those dollars, and you're like, you know, it's not going to be a big deal. I'm not going to loan it to you. I'm just going to give it to you. That is loving the Lord your God with your strength. That you you iscus, that you did a thing with your opportunity, your ability to serve another person. Uh, the, the word uh, also means abundance. It's, uh, it's the thing that is coming out of you. The Hebrew word me'od up there uh, literally means muchness. I really like that. To love the Lord your God with your muchness. You know, some of us, we, we feel so bankrupt, so, so empty, like our vessel. I've given so much to so many people. I am now on E. You don't have a lot of muchness left to love God with, right? We, some of us, in fact, uh, we, we go to church hoping to be filled back up. And we're hoping, that even right now, I came in here empty and bankrupt, and I've given all that I've got to give to work and to give to that thing. And everybody's been taking from me, and now I have no muchness left. And you're telling me that Jesus wants me to love God with, what, my, my empty gas tank? My muchness. This is, this is a, a call to action. One, one thing that we're going to have to come to grips with is that to love God with our strength is that to love him with our muchness is that we have to come to grips with like he's given us a lot. Uh, he's given us our talents and our personality. He's given us our spiritual gifts that we use and service around here. He's given us the time and space to gather uh, here at this church without fear of retribution, without you know someone coming in. Uh, he's given us each other to, to look out for each other, to bear one another's burdens. And so to love him with our strength is to see how much we actually have, or as this, you know, the hymn, the hymn writer said, count your blessings, name them one by one, and count them, number them, name them, and then love him with them. What we're going to see, uh, and this I don't think is a shock, but what we're going to see is that the Christian faith, the faith that we're talking about, is a faith of action. It's a faith of getting things done. The right thing's done, but it's a, it's a faith of getting uh, things done. We make a mistake, and the American church uh, is, is guilty of this uh, largely uh, in that we believe that Christianity and the Christian faith is like, I've got to come, I've got to sit where I'm sitting, and I've got to absorb, and it's all learning. I need to absorb all all of these things. I'm going to love God with my mind. Okay, do it. Love God with your mind, but don't forget to love God with your strength is to take the things that went in your mind and go do something with them. You know, the, the Christian faith is a faith of action. I want, to, I want to build that case. I want to explore a couple of passages. If, you, uh, if you'll look at Micah chapter 6, verse 9, Micah 6, 9, uh, it, it is a classic call to action. Micah is a prophet. It's in the section of the Old Testament called the prophets. And Micah is like retelling uh, what other people have saying. So uh, let, let, me, let me see if you've heard someone say something like this. Uh, what does God even want from me? What, what am I supposed to do? You know, I, I go to church, I do these things. Micah's dealing with people who are saying the same thing. Micah, what does God want from me? I've, I've done the sacrifices. I've got the lambs. I've, I've, I've given to the, the synagogue or to the temple. I've done everything. What does God even want from me? And, and Micah's response in 6, nine says, he has told you, oh man, he has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, 
to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Some of you have this on a poster or a plaque or a cup or something in your house to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And we, we read that and we think, yeah, man, justice and kindness are good, right? We think, oh, that's, that's good. But look at the verbs. These aren't think about justice and think about kindness. These are action verbs, like the work, to love God with our strength and to hear that verse is to go out and to do justice. Sometimes we flip that around, I think. Uh, this is like big on social media right now, that we love justice and we do kindness, but, but it, it's flipped. Do justice. Go find a thing that is not operating the way it should, someone who's being mistreated, someone who, who is being undermined, something that someone who's falling between the cracks and you go and you say, not on my watch, I'm going to serve in this capacity. I'm gonna do some justice. I'm gonna love kindness and I'm gonna walk humbly with my God. Uh, when, I don't have a ton of time to explain this passage or to look at it, but one thing that strikes me is that kindness and justice are at odds with each other. To, to do justice and to love kindness or to love mercy, they're, they're at odds with each other. Mercy ignores the thing that happened. Justice says, I can't ignore it. I must get revenge. And so to do both of these, we have to do the third one right, which is to walk humbly with our God. Because when we walk towards our Father, then we get closer and closer to uh, justice and kindness. Micah 6, 9 is do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with our God. Proverbs three twenty seven. I like this passage. Uh, it says, do not, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. In the Hebrew, uh, the, the, uh, the, the literal language is to those that owns it, to those to whom has their name on it. Do not withhold good to those who are the owners of that good thing when it is in your power to do it. See, see the, the call to action, right, to love God with our strength is when we see someone and we have good to give them, we go and we do it. And we don't withhold from them. To withhold from them would be a sin. Do not withhold good from the owner of that good thing. You, you, you have someone at your job who uh, maybe filled in a gap for you. You took a day off, they covered for you. Uh, don't withhold good from them. Go say thank you. you know, appreciate them. Show appreciation. Um, your spouse has a hard day at work and you, you know that they had a hard day at work and you have the ability to you know, uh, you know, offer them a word of encouragement or to do the dishes or you, know, what, you have the ability to do good. Don't withhold it. Go ahead and do, do good. Every time I mention dishes, like I see looks and like we'll do par uh, marital counseling uh, after the service. Uh, 1 John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. Uh, this is John, this is one of the disciples of Jesus, and he says this, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Is it, is it not true um, that, uh, I'm not gonna say most, but it, it is a common trope in the American church that it's a lot of talk, it's a lot of platitudes, it's a lot of holier-than-thou kind of language. Every now and then there's a thee and a thou thrown in just for good measure, and then it's just a bunch of people sitting around not doing anything. Is that, is that not kind of a, a condition, a negative trait of many churches, many organizations? I think, I think so. And John says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. If we're just loving with our mouth, just loving with the words that are out of our, uh, out of our mouth, we, we've, we've not accomplished what we're called to do. 
We are to love God with our action, with our muchness, with our strength. Um, I didn't want to go through the entire book of James, but just read the book of James later. The entire book of James, almost every third verse is like, hey, do this and stop pretending you're doing this thing by pretending by by hearing. Um, We are in a faith that is a call to action, to get out and to do some things. The last one I want to look at is Titus 1.16. The opposite is also true, that our actions can betray us. We can talk about God with our mouth, and we can have all the right stickers on our car with the shirt and the mug that says, you know, God loves you, and we can have crosses all over our house with jewelry, but then the way that we treat people and the way that we act could betray that. And uh, in Titus, uh, it says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their heart, no, by their soul, no, they deny him by their mind. No, they've got heart, soul, and mind right. They deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. I pray that this is never said about me or said about any of you, but we, we must come to grips that our actions, our behaviors, our, our tendencies, the things that we go about doing, they have a purpose. We can worship God with our actions. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make the argument uh, today uh, that we love God with our strength, when we do the things that are ours to do. You follow that? When we do the things that are ours to do. You have tasks. You have, um, you have things that you need to work on with you. I have things I need to work on with me. You have things that you're called to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that you were created to do the good works that were prepared beforehand for you to do. Uh, you have things that are yours to do. And when we do those things, we are loving God with our strength. When we, instead of doing the things that we're called to do, go try to fix this other brother's problem, instead, we are out of line over here. Jesus had a, a, a funny little parable about that. He says, you know, why is it that you worry so much about this, the speck in your brother's eye and you ignore the plank in your own eye? First, get the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly how to help your brother with his speck. When, when we are ignoring the things that we're called to do, and we're over here just trying to help somebody out. We're telling them, listen, uh, you're just a sinner. You know, you got you to love God more. When, when we are trying to be the Holy Spirit for our spouse over here and we're ignoring the things that we're called to do, we are not loving God with our strength. We love God with our strength when we do what is ours to do. So therefore, followers of Jesus, we must refuse complacency, idleness, aimless busyness, and the work that's meant for others. See, I know a lot of Christians that uh, they're on empty right now, um, not because they're not working. It's because they're busy chasing and busying themselves and trying to get tasks done. And when we talk and we say, okay, well, what about, well, God needs me to do this. Well, where's the rest? Where's, where's the time of rest when you relax and you are rejuvenated? How is it that we're constantly busy and yet we don't feel like we're loving God? That is not what we are called to do, Christians. We are called to love God when we do the things that we're called to do. So I want to uh, explore a couple of thoughts uh, with you. Uh, I want to I think of some things that Christians do that, are, that we're common, that we're frequently doing, that are just wastes of our strength. 
They're, they're, not, they're not really moving the needle forward. They're not ours to do, but we do it constantly all the time. Um, the, the first I want to bring up is just the idea of like boycotting things and jumping on bandwagons. Um, in 2015, I don't know if you remember this, uh, Starbucks uh, put out their holiday cup. In 2014, the holiday cup had something like Merry Christmas on it, and everybody's like, yay, mocha frappuccinos, it's time to go. And then in 2015, they put out something different. It was like a, a green cup, and it said Happy Holidays or something like that. Uh, it wasn't a big deal uh, until uh, someone gets on the news, on social media, and is like, hey, they are causing an assault on the Christian Christmas holidays, and we need to do something about that. And Starbucks sits back. They don't respond. They don't say anything. They don't say we're doing that. They don't say we're not doing that. They sit back, and so more people start jumping on. It started out real small, and then over the season, over the Christmas season in 2015, you may remember this, it became everywhere. It was like on the news. Starbucks hates Christians, hates Christmas, and Starbucks just sits back. Uh, churches got on their pulpits and say, listen, if you love Jesus, you need to stop going to Starbucks, right? And then we all agreed, and most of us kept going to Starbucks secretly, hiding from our church friends because the coffee is delicious, but we know we're supposed to boycott them. And the entire time, the entire time, Starbucks remains utterly silent. They say nothing. Their prices go up, not down. Their stock, their, their profit margin goes up. Christmas leaves Christians stop losing their mind over the Christmas cup at Starbucks. 2016 rolls around, and would you believe that Starbucks did not put Merry Christmas on their cup? And then they sat back, and they did nothing at all. And then someone gets on the news again and says, here they go again. They're attacking Christmas again. We have to stop them. And their profit margins skyrocket. Do you know why? Because boycotting just gives them free media. It gives them free marketing, and everybody's like, man, I don't know why everybody's mad at Starbucks, but I sure could use a Frappuccino right now. And they, and they just, they just, like, it works. And they just sit back, and they enjoy that. I'm not telling you that Starbucks is right or wrong, but listen, like, it is not our place to boycott an entire institution or entire organizations. And to this day, it's not just Starbucks. To this day, there are things that I can turn on the news right now, and I'm told I'm supposed to cancel. I'm supposed to end my subscription. I'm supposed to do that. If you want to, if that organization or that entertainment uh, mogul is just not meeting your needs or you don't like what they're promoting, then feel free to cancel it. But the call to boycott a thing, calling all Christians to boycott a thing, it's, 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 uh, it has a negative effect. It causes the opposite of what you want to happen to happen. The opposite of boycotting, though, is bandwagoning. Now, we have a, a terrible uh, climate uh, with Christianity that we want to find a celebrity Christian, and we just hook onto him. We love celebrity Christians. And then, and then you get, uh, uh, what's that quarterback's name? Tim Tebow. He's a great guy. The idea that like he goes and speaks at churches, uh, I don't know if he has a gift of teaching. I, I, don't, I don't understand what they're bringing him in for, except this, is that he is faithful to his Christ, and he throws a foot. Football. That's great. I love those things. But then we bandwagon onto people. When we bandwagon onto people, we create celebrities where there shouldn't be any. And we have a landfall. We have an avalanche of Christian celebrities that are falling into moral decay. And they're just, they're, they're, they're in the news all the time. I'm not going to name them by names. There's podcasts about them because they were all the way up here and they're awesome. But then they fall down and everybody's like, oh, well, Christianity, you know, took, took a hit that day. No, it's just, it's just people. These are just people with, 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 with a wrestle against the flesh, just like you have a wrestle against the flesh. And the only difference between you falling into a temptation and them falling into temptation is that the spotlight is on them. 
Okay, so another thing that wastes our strength, uh, sideline profits. I love this. Uh, anybody have a job? where your favorite thing in the world is like uh, Phyllis from accounting comes in and tells you how to do your job. You like that? It's awesome, right? Like, hey, you know what you should do? You should move that over here and like, it's, it's going to be fine. You just, you just follow that. No, why? Because, because you know, whoever it is from accounting doesn't know how to do your job, doesn't know all the pressures that went in. But then we as Christians, sometimes we sit on the sidelines and we have, we have ideas and we have thoughts. We've learned from our news services that, that all I have to do is just be a speaking head and have an opinion about a thing. And I'm going to tell you the opinion when, when we're wasting our energy. No, nobody cares. Nobody, nobody cares what our opinion is until we get into the thick of it. When, when we sit back and we think, oh, I, I know the answers to all the social welfare problems. I know how to stop homelessness. When's the last time we served at a homeless shelter? When's the last time you had a conversation with a man or a woman who's living on the streets and says, you know what? I really don't even want a home. I just want to eat and I want a little bit of money right now. What, 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 if, what if homelessness, what if the problem with homelessness wasn't houselessness? What if it was just a symptom of poverty? But when we sit on the sidelines, we think that we know the, the answers. Um, uh. Feel, feel, uh, okay, so uh, sin, sin policing. Uh, Christians waste their time when we just sit around trying to find other people who are sinning and go and correct them. You know, you know nobody really cares. No, nobody wants us to go do that. No, your, your sister-in-law, she doesn't need you to go tell like, how the Lord would fix that if she would just repent and turn, turn to him. You, you know, maybe what she needs is just someone to love her and, and pray, pray for her. We waste our strength when we fake it till we make it. So many people, we, we are in this room right now because we're gritting our teeth. The world is falling apart and we're doing everything we can just to not let anybody know that. And we should find a safe space to just, to just be real. You don't need to hold on to all of that anger. Are you guys uh, keeping up? I, I feel like I'm, I'm maybe getting all like angry and preachy. I, I, don't, I don't intend to do that. Okay, so uh, here, here's some things. Let's flip that around. Uh, I, I'm kind of losing. So uh, things that Christians do that are a waste of strength, those are some of them. But here's some things that Christians seem to not be doing so much that are definitely great uses of our strength. Not only great uses of our strength, but we can find throughout Scripture. One of those is resting. When's the last time you workaholics, when's the last time that you took a day off? Has it been a while? When's the last time that you took that day off and then you didn't answer a work email or a work phone call or you had to, you know, hey, it's just going to be 30 minutes. I've got to handle this one problem. I'm speaking as someone who is like a relapsing workaholic and, and I know that I'm called to rest. Let me tell you how big of a deal rest is, like taking breaks from work. It is one of the Ten Commandments. Like you would think the Ten Commandments, like we're going to reserve these 10 spots for the 10 biggest things. One of the Ten Commandments is to keep the Sabbath holy. Like the, to rest is a big deal in the eyes of God. And it takes an amazing amount of restraint and an amazing amount of self-control to say, today is the day I am not working. It's so much easier to pick up the phone or to, to, to handle uh, a thing. Uh, things that Christians do that definitely require strength. Peacemaking. Making peace with another person. You know, most of us, we read, um, we read like the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, and uh, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. And you think, you know what? I sure do hate arguments. That must be talking about me. Uh, I, I do not like conflict, and I don't want people to be mad at me, and I don't want people to be disappointed at me. And so because I avoid those things, I must be a peacemaker. But if you read how the Beatitudes works out, to be a peacemaker is to find a thing that is wrong and confront it 
and to not to avoid conflict, but to have healthy conflict so that you find peace. You know, um, when, when someone is, uh, uh, I'll use this as an example. I'm at Walmart. Uh, this was about eight years ago. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of in, I think it was like McDonald's. They had like McDonald's in Walmart and I was waiting for something. So I'm, I'm in there and I see this guy, he, he's yelling at a kid. Uh, I don't think the kid is his, but he's yelling at a kid and the kid stands up and he's telling him to sit down and the kid just runs around the corner. And so I see the, the, the dad or the male figure, he goes around the corner and, uh, the way that like the last, the last vision I have of him looked super aggressive to me. It was like, he just went like right around this edge where I couldn't see him. And I thought, man, I need to go make sure he's okay. For me to be uh, conflict avoidant would be to what? Oh, not my problem. I must be a manager around the corner. Somebody else will handle this. There's a crowd of people right there. But, but I'm, I'm a social worker at the time. I'm really worried that this kid is hurt. And I go around the corner and this male figure, father figure, has the kid pinned against the wall with his arm on his throat. Um, I'm not going to tell you like, you know, how that altercation went, but he got his arm off of the kid's throat and the managers are coming trying to figure out why I'm yelling at him. Everybody's upset. I I mean, I don't know what I could have done differently, uh, but I was really concerned with how this grown adult was handling this 10 year old in this moment. Um, We, we should be uh, moving towards problems that we have the power to fix and stop wasting our time on problems that aren't ours to fix. Do you understand the difference? Okay. Um, uh, th- things that re- definitely require strength. How about waiting on God? Anybody in here ever just like, you know, I feel like God's going to come through. I've just got to wait another little while longer. It, isn't that the most, most taxing thing ever to wait? You know what else takes strength? Forgiving people. Someone, someone does an evil, wicked thing and to, you have that debt that you're holding against them to, to forgive them. Um, to surrender to God. So much of scripture is, is taking up a cross and surrendering to him. The last one I'll bring up is, like, you, you know how much work it takes to meditate on things that are good? You know, it's so much easier. The, the things that are bad in this world demand your attention. It's wicked, it's evil, there's a shooting here. It demands your attention. But when Philippians 4 says, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is right, look on those things, focus on those things. It is going to take your strength and your energy to in a world full of brokenness with shattered, sharp edges on all sides to say, I, I see that pain, but I see this beauty over here. I see what God is doing over here. I see, I see someone being, being gracious with their spouse over there. So uh, what I want to do is uh, in the next, next five minutes, I want to land the plane by looking at all of our, uh, our words. So we're going to love the Lord our God, not just with our strength, but it says with our, with our mind, with our heart, with our soul, and with our strength. We said uh, in week two of this that we love the Lord our God with our mind when we're logically consistent, when we, when we engage in conversations with people and we don't shut them down. Look, at, look with me at Ephesians 4, verses uh, 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. It says, to, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desire. So we're gonna take the old self, we're gonna put it to the side. Now we're, we, we need something new. And it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. If we're gonna love the Lord our God with our mind, look at all these action steps that we're told to do. We take our old self and we put it away. 
We, we, we let it die. We, we put it down. And we're going to be renewed by our minds. We're going to put on the new self. If we're going to love God with our strength, we're going to do what we can to renew our minds. We're going to seek after him. Uh, 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 Romans 12 says, says that, that uh, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. We have to, we have to pursue this. Uh, when we talked about the heart, you remember the heart is that little piece of you that lies to you all the time? You know, you know the, every regret you've ever had, every, every mistake you've ever made, you did it because your heart said, I've got a good idea. And you're like, hey, I agree with you, heart. I'm going to do that thing. And then your heart got you in trouble and, and now you have a regret. Your heart lies to you. How do you love the Lord your God with your strength by addressing your heart? Psalm 37.4 says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You, you know, a lot of, a lot of preachers, uh, they'll, they'll preach us like, listen, if you love God, he's gonna give you everything you've ever wanted. And whatever's in your heart, he's gonna give it to you. That's wrong. That's the prosperity gospel. Here's, here's what this actually says. It says, if you delight yourself in your, in your Lord, he's going to change the desires of your heart. And he's gonna give you new desires in your heart. You know, when Paul says in Romans 7, he says, I keep doing the things that I hate and I, I don't know why I do those things. I want to do this. Instead, I choose evil over and over again. His heart is leading him astray over and over again. I read that and I think, yeah, me too, buddy. What am I supposed to do with it? Well, the, the psalmist says this, if you do the work, if you use your strength, if you use your muchness to delight yourself in the Lord, what you'll see over time is that the desires of your heart start to turn towards him. They'll start to point you towards him. Let me ask you a question, church, real quick. Uh, can you think of anything that delights your heart for the Lord? Can you think of anything that increases your affection for the Lord? What activity, what action, what, what place can you go to that just being in that space or doing that activity causes you to focus on the Lord and to love him more? Is it music? Do more of it. Is it, is it prayer? Just getting in your car and like turning all the radio down and just sitting in a parking lot and praying for five minutes, does that, yeah, then do more of that. Is it, is it going to church and just being in that prayer circle that was so socially awkward the first time, but now you look forward to it every week, does that cause delight for you in the Lord? Does that draw your affections for the Lord? Then do more of that. The more you delight yourself in the Lord, take your muchness, your strength, and do a thing to delight yourself in the Lord, he starts to turn the desires of your heart towards him. Your soul, your soul is the piece of you that we talked about last week, the piece of you that feels all the pain that you've ever felt, that feels all the suffering you've ever felt. It's the piece of you that can get so broken and you carry it with you and, and it hurts. How do you use your muchness? How do you use your strength to, to love God with your soul? Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come to me. What, what, what verbs are in here? Come to me. Okay, go to Jesus. All who labor and he, are heavy laden. That's all of us with a broken soul. And I'll give you rest. That sounds wonderful. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Okay, I have to take his yoke and I need to learn from Jesus. Why? For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your what? For your souls. That sounds so beautiful. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How, what, am, what, what am I supposed to do with my strength when my soul is on empty and I'm broken and I am, I am bankrupt? Run to Jesus. Learn from Jesus. Take the yoke off of you that the world has put on you and whatever Jesus says to do, choose that instead because he says his yoke is easier than what the world's yoke is going to be. And you say, well, that sounds like forgiving a lot of people and that sounds like surrendering and that sounds like resting. Yeah, yeah, that, that's what following Jesus looks like. It's going to take a lot.
We love the Lord our God with our strength when we do these three things, when we do what is ours to do. Let's stay in our lane, church. Let's focus on the things that we're called to do. Most of the things that you and I are called to do are internal. We're not, we're not supposed to go out like 90% of us go and fix the world. Most of it is, okay, I'm supposed to forgive someone. Most of it is, I need to, I need to tweak my mind. I need, I need to renewal my mind. Most of it's internal and we tend to avoid that work, but we're going to do what is ours to do. We love God with our strength when we refuse the easy and tempting paths of complacency, idleness, aimless busyness, uh, and another person's work. We, we need to get off the sidelines we need to stop being okay with not being okay. We need to start looking, okay, well, what, what can I do? What can I do with my strength? And then the last, possibly the hardest, is that we love God with our strength when we rest, when we're told to. Even when we have energy to keep doing, even when your mind's like, I know I have enough to do that again, but I'm, I'm told to rest, go ahead and rest. It's in those moments of rest that we see the strength of God come through. We see God show up and he completes the thing that you thought was all up to you to do. He's going to finish it. What I hope that we do at the end of the series is that we take a look at this great commandment. Remember Jesus, he didn't just invent these words. Uh, we think of Jesus as being the one who said, love God and love people, but, but he's quoting the Old Testament. This is ancient stuff. To love God with all of our soul, with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength is to do it right. It's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to take a lot of introspection. It's going to take a lot of rest. It's going to take, be moments of, that's not for me to do. I'm going to take a step back. If we're honest with ourselves and we love God with this way, what we're going to see is a more fulfilling life with less compartments. It's not for you to put on a show for people at work anymore. It's not for you to, to, to bring all of your baggage, save it up and bring it home to your family. It is for us to live as one because our God is one. Let me pray uh, and then we will uh, watch the queue together. Father, we come to you uh, right now um, with, with all of our muchness, all of our energy, all of our strength. Um, Lord, and uh, we, we are sometimes uh, aimless with it. We're sometimes empty. Um, mostly, Lord, we just need direction. Uh, Father, help us to know when and how to do a thing that you've called us to do, how to, how to honor your wishes in doing this work. Uh, Father, uh, give us, give us uh, insight and wisdom to know um, when to say something and when to keep our mouth shut. Lord, uh, we want to love you. We want to love you with every bit of us, and we want to be one as you are one. Uh, help us in our weakness uh, to do this well, and help us to do it in a way that draws other people to your name and finds hope and finds rest for their souls as we have found rest for ours. We love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.